Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hi, welcome to the show. We're going to get started here in just a second. But first, if you're only listening to the free portion of the Bob Seska Show on Apple Podcasts. Hey folks, Alex Jones here. I've hacked into this podcast to warn you all not to subscribe to Bob Seska's Patreon page. If you sign up at bobseskashow.com, you're going to be supporting the globalists with their chemtrails and weather weapons, tiny airplanes and helicopters moving the tornadoes all around. And we all know Bob is conspiring with Raytheon, Bechtel, IBM, the Bilderbergs, Agenda 21, Big Tech, Big Pharma, the Trilateral Commission. I got the documents right here. Here are the documents. I've got proof that Bob's Patreon is turning the friggin' frogs gay. So do not sign up for his Patreon page because I said so. BobSeskaShow.com or Patreon.com slash BobSeskaShow. And now let the cartoons begin. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, August 11, 2021, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello, day 204 of the Biden-Harris administration, 454 days until the 22 midterms. Find me on Instagram at TheBobSeska and on Twitter at BobSeska underscore go. I can't believe it's taken us so long to get here. But the amazing Travis Bone joins me on today's show. Travis, of course, is the executive producer of The Stephanie Miller Show, the greatest political radio show of all time, the gold standard for how liberal talk radio is supposed to work. But today, I should warn you, we spend a ton of time talking about nerd things, comic book movies and TV series and so on. But we also get into Travis's role on The Stephanie Miller Show, as well as how he landed in broadcast radio in the first place. So grab a snack and get ready for two tall guys totally nerding out today. Meantime, don't forget to support this podcast at patreon.com slash show. Okay, here comes real-life superhero, Travis Bone. The only toys I buy are Transformers. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's the only, that, that was like my thing as a kid. Yeah. And, and if you want to get into toxic fandom, that is the most toxic fandom you'll ever see, and it's their <laughs> fucking robots. <laughs> Transformers came sort of a little bit after I started to uh, get into like high school things like heavy metal and girls yeah. and, you know, and so I, I missed out on Transformers, but my brothers all had Transformers. So I was aware enough 
especially yeah. of the early toys and, of course, the cartoon series, uh, be- right. just through them. And that was my experience with Transformers. It was more by proxy <laughs> than yeah. anything no, else. I was, I was 10 years old when they came out, and it's kind of fun. That was actually my gateway into comic books because Marvel made the Transformers comic book. Yeah. And then from there, I did G.I. Joe, and then I started collecting the New Mutants because they were like the young X-Men. Mm-hmm. And like I felt more like something with that, and that branched me into X-Factor back when it was the original X-Men were X-Factor. Yeah. And then it just kind of like, then crossovers happen, and it's like, well, you got to read this book, you read that book, and then... Are Transformers, are those sort of your centerpiece interest when it comes to this stuff? It's sort of like, for me, it's Star Wars. The superhero stuff I've always loved, but Star Wars is the thing that I always come back to. Um, You know, it's the thing that I collect. Yeah. And I fully recognize the fact that the movies are shit. (laughs) And... And, um, you know, I go back to, and it's funny, I think this Friday they're doing a big thing because it's the 35th anniversary of the Transformers animated movie. That was like, the voice cast for that movie was Judd Nelson, Robert Stack, Leonard Nimoy. Oh my God. um, Orson Welles. I mean, it was like, the the, the voice casting was just insane. Yeah. Um, um, Eric Eric Idle. Uh huh. Right. Was one of the voices in it, and and it also had the song that they reused on uh, Boogie Nights. There's yes. a song that Dirk Diggler Dirk, uh, makes. No, uh, you've got the touch. You've got the touch. That's from the Transformers movie, right? Yes. And, <laughs> yeah. So I had never seen Boogie Nights. Yeah. And Dylan and I started. We started dating. He's like, "How have you not seen Boogie Nights? How have you not seen Boogie Nights?" <laughs> and about a half hour into the movie, Dylan has this moment where he's like, "Oh my God, you're about to lose your mind." <laughs> Because he realizes that song is coming up. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what? I I don't know what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, like, it cuts to Donnie Wahlberg singing that song. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's incredible. It blew my mind when I found out that the song, because I had seen it first in Boogie Nights. I didn't realize that, that it was in the Transformers movie, too. And I said, Oh, holy shit. They just went to the Transformers movie. That's insane that they've used that song of all songs. And technically that's somebody point out to me that that song came out after Boogie Nights was set. So it is, it is and like chronology, chronologically, it could not have happened. Okay. So, right. So the scene in Boogie Nights is, is before, set in the seventies, I think. Yeah. I think it's like 1981 or two or something like it's definitely before the Transformers movie comes out. And but, that movie came out in 86. Right. And then but Boogie still. Nights came out in 97 Right. So, yeah. yes, we're completely confusing everybody listening in. And that's actually the next <laughs> question I was going to ask you about, because we just had uh, the Suicide Squad come out this past yes. weekend. Yeah. Um, Marvel, meanwhile, is going into this whole multiverse territory, mm-hmm. which DC yeah. is also going into, too. It's like they're back in the uh, like the golden age of the comic books. There were all these yeah. parallels happening because the same people who are working on DC were also working on Marvel and vice versa. Yeah. Cr- crossing over Jack Kirby in particular would cross over between the two uh, the two companies. The perfect example of that is um, uh, Dark Side. And yeah. the new gods and the apocalypse and all that stuff, which I know you're super familiar with. Mm. Um, the exter- the Eternals that are coming out. Yeah. Um, the Marvel movie comes out this November. I believe Jack Kirby went over to Marvel and created them to be their response to apocalypse and the new gods and exactly. all of that stuff. Yeah. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's like you said, it, it kind of goes back and forth. And then, like you said, with Suicide Squad, you can see James Gunn's hands all over that and the Guardians of the Galaxy 
I, I at least I see a similarity between Suicide Squad and Guardians of the Galaxy, like oh, yeah. prison breaks and mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and the, the use of music and things like that. Which oh yeah, I've loved. And there's there's something that James Gunn does. I want to get back to the uh, multiverse here in a second, but there's yes, something yes, yes, that yeah. there's right. something that James Gunn does that's sort of his comedy signature, which is uh, almost this vibe that you get from some of the characters, not all the characters. But yeah. some of the side characters, like certainly uh, Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy, oh, but yeah. to a certain extent Quill, where Quill is very similar to uh, Peacemaker insofar as uh, they're both like 12-year-olds in adult bodies. They yeah. act like they're much younger than they actually are. Yeah, exa- <laughs> exactly right. And of course, Drax is like King Shark, and they're kind of just doofuses. And that's and then sort Groot of a, and Raccoon too, and Groot yeah. and Rock, Well, that, that they, I would compare Rocket to um, uh, Rat Catchers. Um, I, what was his name? The little rat. The rat was not Milton, but it was something else. Milton was the guy. The office. Milton worker. was the guy who died. Yeah, he was the bus driver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forget the but name it, of the rat. He was like. I know what you're talking it, about. He reminded me of like a Rocket or or a Groot, where it's like yeah. they're not saying anything, but and I didn't realize this. Did you catch who the voice was for King Shark? Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, I had no idea. Dylan's the one who told me that. I was like, "What?" I I go to IMDb a lot, and during the movie, I was going to IMDb, but I didn't look to see who the voice of King Shark was, which yeah. is dummy on my part. See, I spoil all this stuff for me. See, because I'm on <laughs> you know Slash Film and ComicBook.com and all these websites. Oh, I am too. Months and months, if not years, before these movies come out, so I'm familiar with the production and sort of the rumor mill that goes on around all that crap. It started way back before the prequels came out, uh, the Star Wars prequels with uh, the force.net and some of those sites that became the gateway to following all of the antics that happened behind the scenes during the production of these movies. But I wanted to ask you about the multiverse that both of these universes of films are going toward and whether or not general audiences are going to be able to track with it. Because some of the plot details and the world building is happening mm-hmm. on like Disney Plus or in right. case maybe HBO Max for the DC universe. Is that going to be something that's going to lose general audiences for some of these films? Are some people going to go, yeah, you know what? This is too confusing. I can't keep up with the TV shows. I, I don't know wh- what timeline are we on? Why are all these people all mixed up in the same universe together? And because time travel is inherently confusing. Problematic in general. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're really totally wired into it. So is that going to be a problem for these movies moving forward? I'm, I'm curious. Um, Well, so as far as like dealing with multiverse type stuff, DC on their TV side on the CW last year did um, Christ's on infinite earth. Mm -hmm. They did, they did that using the TV series where they used uh, the flash and green arrow. Um, um, who, uh, Black Lightning, um, yeah. uh, Supergirl, and Batwoman. Mm-hmm. I think were the shows they they mixed in with that. But then they went and they they dug deep into the well because on the woman who plays Alice on Batgirl mm-hmm. or um, Batwoman. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't think you watched the show, but the woman who plays Alice on Batwoman, who's the um, the villain, mm-hmm. she was in the Birds of Prey series that was on the WB network that lasted for one season. Wow. So when they did their whole infinite crisis thing, they actually had her go back and play her original character (laughs) in a different universe. And then you also had, um, Oh my God, why am I blanking on his name right now? Um, original Dick Grayson. Yeah. Burt Ward. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Burt Ward had a cameo. 
Brandon Routh, who is on the, the DC show Legends of Tomorrow, played Superman in an alternate universe because he was yeah. Superman in the movie. Right. So they did they did a lot of crazy stuff like that as far as mixing mixing it around. So they, DC did that. And they kind of they they had built out the idea of a multiverse through the Flash because he mm-hmm. can cross universes and stuff like that um, on their shows. But I think what Marvel's doing right now is really really smart because if you think about it, they've like tiptoed into this since Avengers Endgame because the Ancient One said if you take these time stones, you cause and that you saw the little timelines mm-hmm. exactly, uh, which t- also t- yeah was just represented again in uh, the Loki series. Loki. They represented it the same way. Yeah, yeah. Right. So they've kind of like given you this foundation and Loki, they did a good job of really explaining like, here's why there's the the one sacred timeline and there was a universal war. Mm. And they kind of explained how it all came to like how it all fits together. And Loki broke the timeline. Yeah. Right. So I feel like they've done a good job with establishing that idea of a multiverse Mm -hmm. in Marvel. And then, you know, we've, we've got um, Spider-Man no way home, I believe is the next one that's coming out. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, um, I know it's hard to keep track of everything. So they're saying that one's going to be dealing with the multiverse. Right. Um, Doctor Strange is the multiverse of madness, mm-hmm. which is coming out. And that's so, I mean, obviously they're just like directly leaning into it. And then um, what if starts today on Disney plus. Right. And they're using, so do, are you familiar with what if? Yes. Yeah. Book? It's, it's uh, oh no, not the comic book. I thought, I didn't even know there was a comic book uh, that went so, along with it. Back when I got into comic books, and it wasn't something I read on a regular basis, but what if was um, this character, um, the Watcher, the Watcher, who is, um, uh, he showed up in, I think it was one of the Easter eggs at the end of Guardians. Okay. And it was weird because it was Stan Lee was explaining something to a bunch of Watchers looking down at him. (laughs) That's right. I think it was Guardians, I think it was Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where they did that. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, so they've, um, Anyways, in the in the comic book, what if the Watcher basically was saying, "Here's what, what if such and such happened?" Mm-hmm. And it was like stories from the the multiverse. Yeah. And so what they're doing now, and I think this is kind of again smart on Marvel's part, is I think the cartoon is going to be a primer for multiverses. Interesting. Because we just broke the timeline in Loki, and the next series is going to be a guy saying, "Well, what if in this universe this happened?" And the first episode drops today and it's um, Captain Carter. And it's what if um, Agent Carter, Peggy Carter from the Captain America movies took the serum instead of Steve Rogers. And I'm imagining everyone listening to this going, <laughs> you guys have completely lost me. And that, that's what I, that's my genuine concern because, you know, ultimately it affects us nerds because yeah. if general audiences start to pull away from these movies, then the budgets start to go down and there are fewer <laughs> of them. And that, and that negatively affects us because we love these things and we're following these stories up close, no matter oh, yeah. where they're happening. Although I have to say, you're much more deeply ensconced in like the CW series and right. all of the TV versions of the DC universe. For some reason, I started watching The Flash in season one and I lost track yeah. of it. And then suddenly, and I didn't even start with Arrow, which came before it, but right. then then there was The Flash. And now there are all these shows and it's almost too intimidating to go back and start to catch up with everything given the other new content that's also right. out there to watch. So there's there's just this uh, immense wealth of content. And so uh, it's, it's hard for me to keep up with that. But what is it about the TV shows, uh, specifically the DC shows, like on the CW and so on? Mm-hmm. What is it about those? I mean, what am I missing? Wh- what should I... 
what's like the selling point? If you if you had to convince me to watch those shows starting now, what would be your pitch? Oh, that's re- okay. First of all, it's really hard. It's funny. I had a conversation with a buddy of mine, which, by the way, um, if I can make a podcast recommendation for mm-hmm. you, uh, a friend of mine hosts a podcast called The Geek Buddies. Okay, and it is it. Uh, they do they'll do synopsises and breakdowns of like WandaVision, mm-hmm. uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, uh, Loki. They did. But then they also do like a weekly show yeah. where it's just they talk about here's what's going on in geek news and stuff like that. And it was one of my buddies is a host that he also was the lead writer and showrunner for My Little Pony. Oh, wow. <laughs> cool. So he's in the world so, already. Yeah. So he's in the world already. And, yeah. he, and he, and by the way, he was at, um, he was like head of animation over at Sony at one point. Mm-hmm. And so he was there when they were doing all the Spider-Man reboots yeah. for animation and the Spider-Man cartoon. So he's, he's, he's legit. He's got cred. And the way he, the way we had this conversation, not maybe a month ago. And he said, it's so hard to look at the CW shows and watch them now. Hmm. Because when they came out, it was like, Oh, this is great. This is cool. It's TV special effects and TV budgets. Yeah. But now that, now that you've had like WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's like watching the CW shows. It's like, it's some of them are kind of painful to watch right now. Like that's the, that's the, the what special I effects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say that. And I think there's a budget issue on or a budgetary reason for this. Um, I mentioned to you Titans. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, uh, the first two seasons were done on the DC universe, which was like their streaming platform that kind of fell apart and it's mm-hmm. kind of been absorbed into the um, HBO max. Right. The first two seasons of Titans, you could tell there was a different budget for those shows compared to what was on the CW. And now um, the Superman and Lois show that's airing on CW was actually originally for HBO Max. Uh, okay, yeah. So there is a definite difference in production values for that show and just mm. visually what it is, um, the, the way the show looks and feels compared to the other CW shows. The other CW shows, look, they look really cheesy yeah. right now, especially Supergirl this season. I love it. I, I, <laughs> I have friends that work on that show. It's painful. And I'm watching it still just because they're either doing the last season, they're wrapping it up. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's 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 pretty rough right now on some of the CW shows. I'll but admit that. Kevin Smith did a whole bit in his stand-up about the Flash and how great the Flash is, how he and Jason Mewes mm-hmm. are just wrapped into the Flash as if it's like, you know, this adult soap opera that they're yeah. so wired into. They love it so much. And he does this whole pitch for especially watching season one of The Flash. That yeah. ma- really makes me want to jump into it. I mean, is it is it as good as what people are saying? Of the CW shows, I would say The Flash is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it had all the heart yeah. of The Flash. And I mean, if you think about it, comic books are soap operas for boys. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to gender type. I don't want to gender type. But like traditionally, oh, yeah. more guys read comic books than girls. Um, and it they were, they're soap operas. Mm-hmm. And just like a soap opera, they reset every once in a while. They have their their you know the the big shocking cliffhanger moments and oh my gosh I have to tune in next week to see what's happening it's like yeah. it's like Dallas or Dynasty or Melrose Place, <laughs> right right, but for 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 guys or nerds I guess just, yeah. I should say nerds now because it's it, that's what it is um, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of the reason that kind of Dylan asked me this all I'm sure you get questions from Kimberly all the time about stuff like this <laughs> yes when, Dylan when she gives a shit yes she asks right she asks me questions when she gives a shit yeah. Same here. <laughs> Cause Dylan will sit down like he sat down and watched suicide squad with me. And he's like, he's like, look, I get it. It was well-made mm-hmm. it's for 16 year olds and it's not for me, 
yeah. but I appreciate that it was a good movie that mm. it was well done. And I could actually watch it and be entertained by it. Um, you know, the, the first suicide squad movie, he did not feel that way about. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of amazing and, that you got him to watch it. In fact, I was watching the suicide squad Saturday afternoon and Kimberly came through the room and she was like, Oh, is that the suicide squad? I was like, how the hell did you know what that even was? <laughs> Because she's I'm completely surprised. not even wired into it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, between King Shark and the Suicide Squad and King Shark in season one of The Flash, uh, the TV series, which is the better King Shark of the two? Oh, Suicide Squad. Yeah. On on The Flash, he's it's kind of he's kind of in the well, in Suicide Squad 2, he was. He's kind of like the butt of a joke in The Flash. Like he just kind mm. of like is one of those characters who shows up and doesn't really do a whole. It's like he just oh. shows up, eats someone, and disappears. Like they've never, he, I don't think he's been like the main villain for an entire episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of like, Oh no, it's King shark. And then because <laughs> they don't have the special effects budget to do a whole lot with them. Right. Right. I mean, they, they did um on the flash. They did gorilla grod. Oh yeah. And yeah. Yeah. That was really interesting to see them do that. And that was early on in the, in the flash where they did gorilla grod mm-hmm. and they've brought him back a few times. And, but again, it's like, they don't have the budget to CG a gorilla. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, doing a whole lot. So most of what it is, is it's because um, he has telepathic powers. And so it's just this gorilla sitting there while other people are talking for him. Like the gorilla never speaks. I see. Hey, you know what? That's pretty clever. That's a good yeah, way it's, it's, to circumvent the budget problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I know. I, to- I totally understand why they did it that way. And it's like one of those things. In it. And that's you probably get this too, like watching movies and stuff like this is um, what works in a comic book doesn't work in a movie necessarily. Right. And so it's finding a way to make things work in a real world. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm hesitant to use that word. We're talking about comics, but like um, suicide squad, Starro. Yeah. As the, as the bad guy to me in the comic books or in the cartoons, whenever Starro shows up, it's always a psychological story mm-hmm. because those things attach to their faces and they're stuck in this fantasy world where it's like, why would I want to get out of this? This is perfect. Meanwhile, Starro is feeding off of all of their serotonin or whatever is being released. Mm-hmm. And so exactly. th- th- that you can't, they never did a fantasy sequence like that in, in Su- the suicide squad. It was just, there was this big giant starfish yeah. stomping around, <laughs> which was um, fucking great. I mean, just no, that, but such a great move. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how do you take a character like Starro? That's like the psychological mm-hmm. villain and make it appealing on, on the big screen. And they did it. Yeah. They totally made it work. The only other way they could have done it is if they had one of those starfishes attached to somebody's face and you got to see them having their like fantasy sequence in their head, which could have made for some interesting visuals mm-hmm. if they went there. But I get, I also get why they didn't because like, that's a can of worms. Like once you open it up a little bit, then you have to go, you yeah. know, so much yeah. further with it. So let's just have a giant starfish smashing the town and again, you had people speaking for the starfish like they did with Gorilla Grodd. It's got to be so uh, amazing to sit down. You're James Gunn and you're getting ready to write the Suicide Squad. It's got to be incredible to sit down and go through all of those old characters and just mm-hmm. like a buffet laid out in front of you of all of these not only iconic and memorable characters, but all yeah. these weird side characters like the detachable boy is a character yeah. that appears, I think, once in one comic. It's just totally. a, a, a superhero whose arms are able to separate from his body and go around and do things separately. And you see the character for just one second. James Gunn uses this character for the yeah. first... I'm not even going to... I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, but he uses this character in the, in the movie. And it's not only a, an interesting character named TDK in the movie, 
But yeah. the way he applies the detachable arms in the movie is so fucking funny. Me. I mean, it's and and I think that's kind of like what the the Suicide Squad does the best is they take these, especially the random villains. Yeah that they can bring in. I think that's true in the comic book as well as the movies. It's like, they can take these random villains that are like, Oh, it's just, they were like the rogues gallery, like C list mm-hmm. in most cases for these people. And they bring them in and they can make them into something a little bit more interesting or make them into something fun. Because like, I mean, like I would say that like Harley Quinn is the only like a list. Oh yeah. Yeah. Villain mm-hmm. in suicide squad, even um, blood sport. He's not that big of a DC villain. Like you, you think of, um, I keep wanting to say Deadpool. It's not Deadpool. It's uh, Deathstroke. Deathstroke. Yeah, yeah. You think of Deathstroke mm-hmm. as as the villain, and he was you know, originally that- supposed to be the head of Team Two in the Suicide yeah. Squad. There was a, oh, in fact really? some concept art where Deathstroke is leading the second team that arrives at Corto Maltese, but they, I think they switched to Bloodsport. Probably happened somewhere around the the deal with Idris Elba and uh, Will Smith, and who was going to come in, who was going to play that lead role. And so that was one of their possibilities. But I'm glad they went with Bloodsport well, because my, by far my favorite character in that movie. Well, and and Idris Elba was so great in that. And it's mm. kind of funny if you think it's funny when we were watching it, Dylan looked at me because I drug him to see the original Suicide Squad because that's when I was working on Geeking Out, the yeah. TV show with Kevin Smith. Oh, right. And right. that came out when, I, when we were filming. And so it's kind of like, I have to go see this movie because I know that Kevin is going to make some sort of comment about it. I need to, (laughs) I need to have at least seen this movie, even though I know this movie is going to be utter shit. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I, and it didn't disappoint in that regard, the first one. But I remember Kevin Smith, even he was like, his reaction was, was, you could tell he was trying to find something Mm -hmm. to like hang his hat on about the movie. And on geeking out, he said, he's like, just getting that one shot of Harley in her, costume like she wore in the batman animated series where she was first introduced yeah when she was doing that dance with the joker who was mm-hmm. dressed like he was in the um in the animated series he's pulled like, right from the i think it's alex ross who draws the, yeah. the painting yeah amazing he was shot. Like, yeah he's like that's all i needed from that mm-hmm. movie and i was happy yeah and i and I, I totally get where he's coming from there yeah. do you do you think the suicide squad suffered from a lack of marquee characters is that maybe one of the reasons why its box office performance doesn't seem to match the quality of the film is that uh, a possibility there i so i saw um a couple of takes on that um one is it was there's this there's this thing going around i don't know if you've heard about it but it's called delta and it's mm-hmm. a virus mm-hmm. and i'm, I'm a little bit a crowded, familiar yes you could go to a crowded movie theater <laughs> Mm-hmm. and watch that yeah. movie or you could watch it at home on hbo max with your entire family for ten dollars a month right so i i, I totally get the I, I think hbo really shot themselves in the foot this last this whole year as far as or not, i'm sorry not hbo warner brothers yeah shot themselves in the foot with their movie releases by putting them on hbo max um so i th- a i think that was a, a ding against it because it's like, why do you go, go to a movie theater? Because I can see it for free at home. Mm-hmm. B um, Delta variant is going around. Why do I want to go to a crowded movie theater and sit with a bunch of German fested people who are not wearing masks and unvaccinated. Yeah. Um, and then also I think um, there's an article I read over the weekend that talked about it suffered from, they called it the tomb Raider syndrome. I heard, first, yeah, I heard that. Explain the first that. tomb Raider movie yeah. was terrible. Mm-hmm. And the second one came out and it was the superior movie, Yeah, but no one saw the second one because the first one. And I know you and I have different opinions on, on, on the DC movies. I think that there have been more misses than hits 
Oh, I, I agree. Mo- I agree with you on that. It's just which the, the misses, which ones are the misses. That's where we disagree. I think. <laughs> I, true, true. Yeah. Um, but it's there's been more hits than misses with the DC movies, and so um, it's one of those things where I'd rather ha- hedge my bets. It's like if I can watch this on HBO Max as opposed to going and watching it on the big screen. Yeah, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with HBO Max because mm-hmm. they haven't. I, I I I and by the way, it's one of those things I could see this movie performing better in a second week. Because people were like, oh, I saw an HBO Max. I really enjoyed it. I want to see this on. I want to see a giant fucking starfish tear apart a town. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Spoiler alert for anyone who, who, doesn't know, <laughs> who doesn't know. But I think there's a there's a shot of him in the trailer where like, the, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the guy, the guy in the, in the control room says, we've got a kaiju. <laughs> yes. Oh, holy shit. Yeah, it's and it's, it's in fact, going back to, to Starro the Conqueror, it was the first issue of the justice league comic book i think that starro is the villain in that am i getting that right what yeah i don't remember who you know they've they've rebooted the justice league comic book so many times yeah and it seems like every time they do a reboot of the justice league comic book it's because Mm. there's an alien invasion and all of the heroes have to come together to face off oh gotcha or to face face that invasion um because i feel like the and like Sorry, sorry, fans for listening to this right now. I think when they rebooted like the new 52. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that was um, it was an apocalypse mm-hmm. invasion, which is like the um, the characters from the, the Justice League movie. Right. Um, and, um, and there was an, and I think in the Justice League, uh, one of the animated movies, there was a, it was an alien invasion. It was kind of like a nondescript random mm-hmm. one of the animated ones that are on that's available on HBO Max is for the record. Oh, right. But, right. um, yeah, but they, they, it's, it seems like alien invasion is when the justice league has to get together. And by the way, the same thing with the Avengers mm-hmm. for the first movie, right? They got together because of an alien invasion, the third one, alien invasion, the second one, because they fucked shit up and they made Ultron who wanted to take over the world. <laughs> right. Which I thought was a great premise for yeah. that film. It just, it yeah. was, you know, Joss Whedon kind of, uh, fumbled a little bit, but I, I still think it's a good movie. I still like that. It's one funny. I went back and revisited that after watching WandaVision. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny, like watching, rewatching um, uh, Age of Ultron after watching WandaVision and also um, Falcon and Winter Soldier yeah. is really, really interesting because it, it, you, you forget that Age of Ultron came out after um, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. So it's like Hydra's falling apart. The, um, so it kind of it, 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 Age of Ultron is really a precursor for WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. Gotcha. Yeah. Which yeah. I find I, I feel like watching that is a good primer for those two TV series, which is it's probably the least watched of the Marvel movies or at least the Avengers movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and one of the things that I've been observing and it's disappointing insofar as it's part of the things that I love. It's in the Mandalorian. It's in the Suicide Squad. There are so many examples of what I'm about to describe, which is. There's a lot of humanizing and empathizing with the villains in these mm-hmm. shows. Certainly the Suicide Squad. The, we're talking about a, a, a team of yeah. villains, super villains, metahumans mm-hmm. who are normally in the comics evildoers, to use the George W. Bush 9-11 term. Yeah, um, oh yeah. And with The Mandalorian, we see many instances of, well, let's look at this from the perspective of the Imperials. What were the Imperials thinking when the Death Star blew up? Oh, we lost all of our friends in this terrorist attack. And we're, we're starting to see these events where it was a very clearly defined good versus evil setup. We're starting mm-hmm. to be treated to 
the perspective from the the bad guys in these shows and movies. And I get concerned that that is uh, desensitizing people to the actual villainy that we're seeing in real life. And now I, I really hesitate not to apply art to people's opinions in real life because then you right. get into weird territory does does a judas priest album make a, a kid want to commit suicide or whatever it was or an ozzy yeah. osbourne song that's a territory i don't normally go into but because we're in this uh, time period where we're facing an existential crisis where there are millions and millions and millions of people supporting a genuine villain and someone like donald trump what do you what do right. you think about that have you noticed that or am i overreacting uh, no, um, I think I one of the weird ones. Um, I, I think one of the first times where we really saw people like uh, identify with a, and it's it's a strange one, and I actually Dylan's a better person to talk about this than I am. Um, but um, where we saw that at was the the Dark Knight. Oh yeah, and it was you know it was after the Dark Knight was when we had the uh, the shooting in, in in Colorado where the mm -hmm. guy went to the movie theater dressed as the Joker all right yeah and um but so many of these people who are um who are in these militia movements and stuff they point to things like um Batman and the Dark Knight is like they're kind of like their inspiration like they they really glom onto that movie um it's not science fiction or, or comic book stuff but um the the militia movement a lot of them look at Rambo the original the original um um, first blood yeah. movie yeah that um they look at him as like look at him taking on the corrupt law mm -hmm. and he was the outcast and they they envision themselves these doughboys showing up in their you know cosplay camo stuff at the at the capitol but they think that they see themselves like rambo as standing up to the law and and standing for the little guy and and so you know i think it's been going on outside of you know comic book movies it's not necessarily just the comic book movies and the sci-fi stuff that we talk about but um I, I i get what you're saying but i also think that there is like there is gray area mm. yeah. i'm just i'm wondering if this is not part of the palette of why we're here or is this going to create eventual damage down the road where we're like well yeah just look at it look at it through donald trump's eyes maybe he's uh, upset or he's got some sort of psychological problem that's making him do all these bad things i, I that's what i that's what i kind of worry about any, yeah no, any there's sympathy. no sympathizing yeah. with the devil yeah. on that there's yeah. no sympathizing with the devil on that one for me yeah um it's funny you know i, I I've, I've mentioned this to you and i was like debating if i was going to bring this up i i i I've mentioned to you that I might be working on a project of my own. That's like delving into politics and pop culture and that. Oh stuff. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, I'm still in the early phases of that. So I don't want to get too deep into it, but it's, it's a project that I'm working on. And like one of the examples, uh, like to throw out what you're saying, you're talking about, you know, villains being humanized, but um, the movie uh, Captain America, civil war, who did, who were you rooting for in that? It's funny. I was rooting for, strangely enough, I was rooting for the uh, Captain America team, team, team Captain America, that that side of it, not the Tony Stark which, side, but the Captain America side, which was more of like, you know what? That, that, deregulation, no, no oversight. Tony Stark, who was the bad guy in the movie, was actually for regulation and regulation of powers. And it's like, yes. He's kind of right, because I don't know if I necessarily want unlicensed people running around with superpowers. You know, which is like, a, in some ways you could say is a metaphor for guns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what? Fuck it. You're right. You're totally right. But so, but, but, I was, but, but, right, I was right. supporting the DeSantis wrong side. Keeps, De, DeSantis keeps talking about, we don't want government telling you you need to wear masks. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah. 
do you see the similarities there? And oh yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I, I, I don't, you know, I, but I'm like you, I'm like, I'm rooting for Captain America because he's Captain America. And well, yeah, he always it. does. He yeah. much like Superman and, and, in um, Batman versus Superman, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, they were like, Oh, is Superman too powerful? Is he dangerous? Is he, a, is he a danger to us? Mm. And you're like, no, it's Superman. He's a good guy. He <laughs> yeah. always does the right thing. How could you possibly make him into the bad guy? Oh yeah. But, yeah. but you also get Bruce Wayne's point of view in that one mm-hmm. because he's like, he fucking destroyed Metropolis. That's like, you know, like, mm-hmm. why didn't he punch Zod out over the ocean or yeah. into space and have the fight up there? Why did he blow up half of his own city that he's supposed to be protecting? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think a lot of people also uh, made a similar mistake that I made in, ter- in terms of rooting for Captain America in the Civil War. I think a lot of people may have rooted for Batman and Batman v Superman, not necessarily realizing that in Batman v Superman, I mean, Lex Luthor aside, Right. Batman was the villain in that movie. Batman was wrong through most of that movie to be skeptical of Superman. He was just taking this and and it was, I think, triggered psychologically something in him. The uh, Black Zero event with Zod and everything and that and and trying to terraform Earth into another version of Krypton and all that. the, The attack on Metropolis and his reaction to that turned him into something that he wasn't prior to that event. It was like 9-11 transforming Dennis Miller into a from a funny person into an insufferable rat bastard. It was well, that kind of thing, right? It's almost like um it's almost like what Tucker Carlson talks about replacement theory. They're coming here to take away your jobs and take away your things yeah. and reformat America into <laughs> something that you don't want to That's right, right. It's that's that's and that but by the way, that's what's good about that that's my favorite aspect of and I think sci-fi gets away with it in a sci-fi and fantasy and comic books and all of that stuff can get away with it in a way that um, dramas can't necessarily is it, um, it kind of turns things on its side Mm -hmm. and it allows you to look at something as a metaphor and, um, and, and you are able to imprint on it what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember one day driving home this years ago, um, driving home from when we were, um, from doing the show, um, Stephanie show over when we were still at the radio studio, when mm-hmm. you first started doing the show with us. All oh, right. And it was when the hunger games books were really, really big. Mm-hmm. And I, I, this is something like, I don't tell many people this. I listened to Rush Limbaugh on my way home from Stephanie's. And this is back when I was screening calls because listening to Rush Limbaugh was a good tool for me to suss out what kind of talking points callers were calling in with, to try to get on the air with Stephanie. <laughs> so it was kind of like, I became much happier when I stopped listening to Rush Limbaugh on the way home because it it just made me angry. But I remember one day a woman called in talking about the Hunger Games books. And I'm, I'm saying this, assuming that, you know, the Hunger Games and people have read these books. Oh yeah, sure, sure. But um, the woman in Hunger Games, or she was, she called in the Russian talking about the Hunger Games. And she's like, oh, you know, the interesting thing about the Hunger Games is, you know, all of the rich elites, they live in the capital and they have everything they want. And they're making all the poor people and the working class people do their bidding. And they're, and, and then Rush Limbaugh's like, oh yeah, just like the Obamas. <laughs> and, and I'm like sitting there going, motherfucker, that's mm-hmm. the Republican party. And so, but, it, but it was like, it was, so, it was, it, it really showed how you can imprint onto these characters, what you see and what you want to see and whatever the narrative from your, so I'm sure that there's like a whole set of fans of the hunger games movies who look at and see, you know, um, snow, the bad guy, the, um, the, um, who was it? Sutherland, Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland yeah. Yeah. They see him as like a metaphor for Barack Obama. 
Which is that's like a, that's a stretch. Yeah, they were it, really no, reaching for that. But that's but that's what they were arguing on yeah. on Rush Limbaugh. And I was like, going, what the fuck upside down world is this that we're living in? Oh yeah, Alex they, Jones used to do. Alex Jones used to compare Obama to uh, Heath Ledger's Joker from The Dark Knight. Yeah. Completely incongruous with what Barack Obama is and was. Because I could sit here and argue with you. If anyone was the Joker, it was Donald Trump. He was a chaos agent oh, who yeah. just kept throwing sand in the air and pitting people against each other and right. trying to bring out the worst in people's instincts mm-hmm. in order to get to where he wanted to go. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's <laughs> you know, and so, or he's also the penguin, the fat guy who runs the city, the fat <laughs> guy who runs the city. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean, I've I've thought all along that Donald Trump is our first real. Super villain. I mean, at mm-hmm. the very least, you can take super off of it because that's a, like a comic book thing. But just in terms of being a villain, he is the first villain president. We've had some shitty presidents who have done some shitty things. But yeah. Donald Trump is the first guy who has legitimately villainous intent uh, yeah. with what he's doing. He has no interest whatsoever in doing the right thing for the country yeah. or the world. It's all about... I want more power for myself. I mean, he might mm-hmm. as well develop like a blue laser that shoots into space and takes over the world for himself, just like any comic book supervillain would. And someone like um Lex Luthor, <laughs> exactly right. He's he's dumb, Lex Luthor. Yeah, yeah. Because like if if he, I mean, if you go back and look, there's even been there was like a um um uh, at a point in the DC comic books, Lex Luthor was president. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. And it was huh, a rich businessman who's president mm-hmm. who runs on a platform of aliens coming into our country from outer space. <laughs> but, you know, but like if you look at it and, you know, we had um, I booked him on Happy Hour podcast years ago. Um, John Cryer. Oh, he plays right. Lex Luthor on Supergirl. Yes. And his character was all about like, look, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to protect you from these aliens that are coming here. And, and they did a whole, there was a season of Supergirl where Linda Carter was the president and it's revealed that she's an alien and John Cryer is railing against her as Lex Luthor. Wow. And it's, and, but, but it's like, it's like, oh yeah. Cause Linda Carr was the alien, the other, like Obama, mm-hmm. you have, you know, Lex, uh, Lex Luthor coming out and saying, I'm going to protect you from this invasion. These people who want to come in and, you know, replacement theory, yeah. you know, because they're, they're better than us. They're stronger than us. We need to fight them off. We're scared of them because they're here to do the work that no one else will do. Like mm-hmm. um, migrant farm workers or immigrants who come across the border. And, and where I grew up in Fresno where like, I went to school with kids whose parents were migrant farm workers. I went to, I'm I, I would, I would be willing to bet you there are people I went to school with who would be considered dreamers today. Okay. We'll get back to our conversation with Travis bone here in just a second. But if you ever catch yourself thinking when looking in the mirror, I wish my under eye bags would just vanish Well, you're totally not alone. Bags and puffiness under the eyes are a problem for millions of American men and women until now. Introducing the new GenuCell Serum with plant stem cell technology from Chamonix. Susan from New Jersey wrote, quote, I've been using GenuCell for a couple of months. The puffiness around my eyes is gone. Even the crow's feet and small lines have disappeared and haven't come back. I love the product. I use it under my eyes, around my cheekbones, and on my eyelids, unquote. With its instant effects, Chamonix says you'll see results in the first 12 12 hours or your money back. 
they guarantee it. Order now and get 50% off all GenuCell packages for the summer. Go to lovegenucell.com slash Stephanie. That's lovegenucell.com slash Stephanie. Link in the description at bobseska.com. lovegenucell.com slash Stephanie. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. Going back to what you were saying about listening to Rush Limbaugh after the show, I want to get some uh, some background in terms of uh, your connection to broadcasting. I mean, you're growing up in Fresno. Was radio ever in the cards for you? Was that something that you were like, oh, you know what? This radio thing, this broadcasting thing, maybe this is something I'd like to do. You know, I I, I was always interested in it. Um, the track record I took going there was like my degrees in literature and writing. I, was always, I always loved writing and mm-hmm. I always felt like the only stable writing job there is, is like writing for like a newspaper or in some sort, which is also kind of laughable now. Yeah. But it was like, I, I, I don't like gig work. I don't like moving from job to job, to job, to job or I freelancing. Yeah. And, um, and so I, newspaper writing was something that was like the news writing business was something that fascinated me. Um, when I went to school at UC San Diego, I wrote for the school paper down there. And then, um, after I graduated, I worked for like, it was like the internet.com boom. And that's kind of like the, the world that I was working in for the first few years. And um, when that kind of all went kablooey, um, I went back and interned with the ABC News affiliate in San Diego um, the summer of 2001, which hmm. that means I was there for 9-11, which was, you know, and it was funny that I, um, I was interning there. So I was I was only on every other day. Hmm. And that happened on a day that was my vacation day. Or my vacation day, but my day off. And I worked wow. in the morning show. So usually I was up at 4 a.m. So my phone rings at like 7. It was a little bit before 7. I answered it. It was back when you actually had like a landline in your house. <laughs> and um, I answered the phone. And it was my dad. And he said, have you seen the news yet today? And I was like, no. He's like, I knew it was your day off. So I wasn't sure if you were up earlier. And I was like, no. And he says, um, he's like, we've been attacked. I was, like, yeah. I was like, what do you mean we've been attacked? So I like, I'm walking into the living room and he said, he said, a, a plane, planes have hit the, the, the world trade center. And I said, which tower? And he says, both of them. And I'm like, what the fuck? And he said, and he said, it fell down. And I was like, which tower? And he's like, they both have fallen down. And I, at that point I'm turning on the news and I see the footage. And I was like, let me call the station see what's going on. Wow. And that was the day I, um, they said, yes, come in <laughs> raced over to this, to the studio. They sent me out with the news crew. And it was kind of like one of those days that you'll never forget. They sent me out with the news crew to um, downtown where the mayor was holding his press conference to talk about the situation. What was, and at that point, everyone thought that they were a target and they had grounded all the planes. So he was saying, um, you know, this is what's being done here in San Diego. This is what's being done here in San Diego. I remember all of our crew was like, yeah, but there's, the international airport in Tijuana that's literally like right across the border. And there are still planes flying out of there. How do we know that we're not going to get, have someone take off and make a right-hand turn into San Diego? Yeah, exactly. So we did. So we were at that press conference. Then we went and they rang the church bells. And then one of ABC's camera crews got stuck across the border in Mexico because they shut the border down. And this is the, the, the craziest part of the story. And this is back in the day, the transmission, and I think you'll probably understand this from like from just work experience. Back then, transmission was line of sight to the towers mm-hmm. yep. if they wanted to send footage. And uh, when there's about about a half a mile from the border is where you have you have to be that the way the towers are set up in San Diego. Mm-hmm. When you're at the border, you can't transmit. Yeah, about a half mile from the border, you can. Well, this. Um, 
um, ABC News camera crew had gone across the border, uh, ABC network, not local, had gone across the border in Mexico and they couldn't get back. So we got in a van, drove down to the border where it's closed, ran up to the fence and they handed us Betamax tapes <laughs> through the fence. <laughs> wow. To take back to the studio to, um, to transmit to, hmm. um, to, the, to the national just incredible. So you're it working, was, you're working at the uh, San Diego affiliate ABC news and, uh, and yeah. And then I got a job writing for the gay and lesbian times down there, which is like our local gay newspaper. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was like, it was just, it, but again, it was a consistent paycheck weekly yeah. gig. And, um, and I just, I wanted to write and I wanted to move to LA and I moved up to LA and, um, uh, I was listening to Stephanie Miller before I moved to LA and a friend of mine, this is not going to be shocking at all, who's a body, gay bodybuilder in San Diego, <laughs> says, hey, I have a friend who's a gay bodybuilder who's a producer on a radio show. Have you ever heard of the Stephanie Miller show? I'm like, I listen to it every day. And he's like, well, Chris Lavoine. I'm like going, he's gay? <laughs> this is back before Chris was really yeah, yeah. out on the show. And I was like, huh. And so like uh, Chris and I met uh, via my friend Jason. And um, when they were looking for an associate producer, when Rebecca, the former associate producer, was leaving, mm -hmm. um, Chris posted something on Facebook and I said, Hey, I'd be interested. And he's like, you've got a news background experience too, don't you? And I was like, yeah, I worked for the ABC affiliate and I, you know, the, the newspaper for years. And at that point I was working in like the finance department at 20th century Fox home entertainment. So like movies, not, not the news side of the business or anything like that. Wow. And that's, that's how I ended up working in radio. The, the amazing thing about you joining that show is I think it, it completed this, chemistry that you threw that the three of you the three main players on the stephanie miller show the chemistry is i think unrivaled in in broadcasting between stephanie well, thank chris you. and you and so when you departed from the show i got the sense that it was going to be next to impossible to recapture that chemistry with another group because then i think chris left soon after you or is that am i reversing chris this or chris left first and then you left or I I left first and part of and part of the reason I left was I there it was you know the, um because we were like a a, a standalone show mm -hmm. we weren't a part of a bigger network there wasn't um there wasn't any growth potential for me yeah and I was like I I need to you know advance beyond what I'm doing right now and um you know I had an opportunity to go over to Sirius XM and produce a show over there mm -hmm. and um and and it was a it was a step up from an associate producer to a producer and that, and that was the reason I left. It was just because I needed, I needed that opportunity for growth. And then of course, right after I leave, Chris leaves. And then I would have had it. I could have just stayed with Stephanie the whole time. Yeah. But I do think stepping away from the show and working with other talent. And then, um, you know, after Sirius, I went and worked with, um, with Kevin Smith on the, the geeking out show and, you know, got mm -hmm. more TV experience. What was and that it, like? It, it uh, was, did you enjoy working with Kevin? Loved it. Yeah, absolutely loved it. He is he is the nicest guy in the world. Um, it was him and Greg Grunberg, who is also mm -hmm. just amazing. Greg, Greg's done. Um, he did the happy hour podcast and he did in studio with us a few times even. Mm -hmm. um, and Greg is, if you don't follow him, he is awesome. He is just the most wonderful man in the world. And he's um, it's weird because he grew up with JJ Abrams. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They were, they were best friends growing up and everything that JJ Abrams ever did. Greg Berlanti was either in or had cameos or reoccurring roles mm -hmm. and so um so he's in that that so it was working with greg and kevin and it was just it was great i i both of those guys i think the world of yeah and I, it was I, so much fun i only met kevin once but i was 
kind of shocked in a good way in terms of how similar his private persona is to his public persona. What you see with Kevin Smith is what you get with Kevin Smith. He is the real deal. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, even since, since working on the show, um, randomly I'll like run into him at like, well, RIP the Arclight theaters here in LA, Mm -hmm. which was like the, the, the beautiful theater here that everyone went to. It was, the best movie experience you could have. They shut down during the pandemic and they w- went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I would, I would just randomly run into him at the arc light. He'd be like, Oh, Hey, you know, or there's <laughs> a Mexican so restaurant. There's a Mexican restaurant a block from us. I'm not going to say he's a stoner, but he would stop there when he had the munchies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's completely out when oh, it comes I, to no. yeah, <laughs> his uh, wake and bake activities. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. my gosh. Going by, going by his trailer. Mm, I can't <laughs> even imagine. Sure. Sure. Yeah. We, um, in fact, I remember that when we filmed the pilot for geeking out, you want this, this would make you jealous. I'd been to Comic-Con mm-hmm. many times, yeah. many, many times. You do, you and do I, cosplaying too, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, not at Comic-Con. I've never dressed up at Comic-Con oddly enough. Wow. Like Halloween. Uh-huh. Halloween's when I dress up. Okay. But, um, but so we go to, um, I, I, finally like made the break it's like comic-con just got too big it's too out of control mm-hmm. i'm not doing this anymore i'm not going to comic-con and uh a friend of mine calls me up and he's like hey we're putting a show together we're looking for producers he's like we don't have anyone that has your experience with the nerd t- culture and comic-con and stuff like that we're literally filming the pilot at comic-con would you be interested in this and i was like <laughs> no <laughs> with kevin smith going to comic-con to film a pilot Fuck yes, thank you. Please. Absolutely, yeah. So we, um, so I got on board for that, and it was like literally the year I'd sworn off going to Comic Con. I told him, "Oh, I'm going back to Comic Con." <laughs> <laughs> and so we go to Comic Con, um, and it was the first time I'd ever been at Comic Con where I was behind the scenes, and um, there was no season two of the show, so we never went back for another season of Con- or not more Comic Con. But it was the most fun I'd ever had. We got to go to parties I would have never have gone to. We got to go to, um, you know, got access to people that we would have never had access to. Kevin was doing stuff for, um, aside from our show, he was on the IMDb yacht that was parked in the harbor there in San Diego. And if you're not familiar with the Comic-Con, this convention center is right on the waterfront. And there's, you know, I mean, crazy yachts parked right behind the con- the center please tell me so, that imdb rented the yacht that they don't actually yes. own a yacht okay good yes but it was but it was called <laughs> the imdb geez. yacht and so like we're on imdb yacht and like bruce campbell mm-hmm. lee majors like all these people are just coming through to like do interviews and then where we had our um our base camp was at a hotel nearby where like all the, it was kind of like it was like radio row or at any of these events you go to mm-hmm. where it's just like you could go from like one suite to the next to talk to talent or the talent would come to you actually so we were all kind of camped out over there and um the the last day we were filming we'd gone over the convention center we'd gotten b-roll and crazy people in their cosplay outfits and stuff like that and i had this crew with me and we go back and we get in the elevator and like we've got sound equipment camera equipment it's the last day we're wrapping up so everything's Mm -hmm. packed and we're getting the elevator to go up to our 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 floor where our like interview area was and it stops and the elevator doors open up and Tom Hiddleston is standing there. Oh, holy shit. Loki himself. And it's, yeah. a, and it's a full elevator. <laughs> and I'm just, and we're, and he's like looking at us and we're looking at him. And we're like, sorry, it's full. <laughs> Awful. And he's like, I'll take the next one. And as soon as like the elevator doors close, like everyone, in our elevator is just like, that was Loki. 
<laughs> That's amazing. I, and I guess it's just because, what, the show just didn't get picked up for a second season? Is that how you ended up thinking, you know what, maybe I should uh, talk to Stephanie again, see if there's a, a spot for me over there, uh, go sure, back they, to the morning approach- show? I'd, I worked on a couple of other uh, pilots and um, and video game shows and stuff like that. Oh, okay. But um, but um, but it was it was freelance, which I did not like. Yeah, I did not like that going on and off work. Uh, I know and, what you um, mean. and um, they reached uh, they reached out to me actually about coming in for the executive producer position. Oh, that's and, nice. Um, yeah. And so I was like, I was like, I was like, I, I remember when she when they first asked me, I was like, going, well, I'm gonna need to talk to Dylan because we're getting married this year, and I don't know how he's gonna feel about me working these crazy weird hours again yeah, but, uh, yeah you know we've we've obviously made it work and it's not been a problem but do, um, do you guys do you guys yeah, function on different schedules or does he adapt to your schedule uh do you guys work it out that way or how do you how do you deal with uh waking up at scary o'clock or whatever it is so we um we've we've made it work and we made it work this last year during pandemic we were both working from home which was that was amazing oh, yeah. but um no um and it's kind of funny because we live in a one bedroom apartment in West Hollywood, which mm-hmm. it's rent control. So we're never leaving. <laughs> we're, we're, we, we can, if you know anything about LA and I say rent control, you'll understand why, oh, why sure. we're never leaving. He, yeah. He's been here for over 10 years now, but um, anyways, so what the way our schedule works is um, I usually go to bed around nine o'clock. He comes, he goes to bed, you know, 10 or so he's not, he's not a late a night owl either. He's a morning person, not stupid morning person like me, <laughs> but I do most of my work. Um, the night before, like I usually pull audio clips, um, you know, every once in a while you'll wake up to like Cory Booker giving a speech like he did this morning. Yeah. Um, that barn burner of a speech, but, um, but most of the time I'll, ha- I'll do all of my stuff in the evenings, early evenings and have everything lined up. And then I get up at 4am. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's, Chris gets up at like one or two in the morning. Yeah. Chris, and when he was doing your job, he yeah. was getting up. Yeah. I remember him saying, he no, was, he still like gets two- up at that time. Oh, that's insane. I don't understand. I don't, <laughs> I don't, crazy. I don't understand that, yeah. but f- just for, for, for us in our lifestyle, it's like, you mm-hmm. know, being able to stay up to nine, you know, we we'll eat dinner around six o'clock, you know, mm-hmm. and just chill and watch TV and then I'll go to bed and he can read a book or watch a, 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 a movie that has a lot more culture and class than I would ever watch. Yeah. And, um, but and I, he's been working his way through the Kurosawa films lately. Oh my God. Well, th- the thing with, prepping for a Stephanie Miller show is not only you're printing out all of the news items for the various yeah. stacks, right? But you're also, as you said, you're gathering that audio. That's got to mm-hmm. be the most time-consuming aspect of it because you're not only watching all of this bullshit that comes down from Fox News and wherever oh, yeah. else, uh, the, the worst of the worst speeches and press availabilities and so on, and yeah. then going through and picking out which clips to save not only is that a process in and of itself deciding which clips to use but then also the nuts and bolts of recording the audio saving the audio organizing the audio that's i I don't think people truly appreciate how much time that alone requires you know some days it's easier than other days yeah and it's it's nice like what was it um nice i shouldn't say the word nice um like the day they had the um the officers testified um, yeah for the the january 6th commission it was like well i know where all my audio is coming from mm-hmm. it's like and that was done in the morning and it's um twitter has made things a lot easier i don't i don't know what you, what you're how you source stuff 
but Twitter has made things a lot easier for me to go and grab. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Rupar um, for me. Aaron, as long Aaron, as I have, yeah, because I've got a, right now on my browser window, I've got about a thousand tabs and they're mostly Aaron Rupar <laughs> tweets. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> you know, I, you know what I do is I email myself the, um, the, the tweets. So I just have them yeah. all there in my, in my mail folder. And then I have to go through and clean that out. But, um, Aaron Rupar, there's another one I would, um, I'd recommend, um, uh, his, his name is Asin. Asin. Yeah. He's another good ACYN. one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really good. Um, there was a guy named Bobby Lewis who, um, was really, really good on Fox and family, all of the morning stuff. And he works for media matters now. Oh, okay. So, um, uh, he's really, really solid. And then, um, and there's other people I pick up on. Do you follow the recount? Yeah, well, and Daniel Dale, I think from CNN, yes. used to post a lot of clips. Dur- well, during Trump, yes. but now he's working at CNN as a fact checker or something like that. So he's not doing as yeah. much video. But yeah, he was another source that I would find audio clips from. It was very, and, very, and very useful. It, yeah, uh, the recount. If you don't follow them, oh right, they right. post a lot of really good audio too. So mm-hmm. it's Twitter has made, and there's like there's there's plugins and extensions you can get for your browser. I'm sure you have them too. Oh yeah, where you can yeah. just download the video clip right to your computer and then convert to MP3 and cut and edit and stuff. Like that. I do a whole different thing. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but sometimes and I'm sure you'll, you'll you've had this happen before. It's where like you'll hear an interview or you'll see a clip or you're like in your car, you're listening somewhere, and you're like, mm. oh, I need that audio. Oh I've yeah, gotta find. Yeah, and there are certain days where it's like a needle in a haystack. Mm-hmm trying to find I know exactly audio. what you're talking about it, sometimes it's like you google it and or you go do a YouTube search or a, um, even a Twitter search yeah. and it's always coming up with the wrong one it's always coming up with the the video clip that someone shot off of their TV using their camera phone and the audio and is that. terrible and you don't Crap. want that yeah. one but that's always the one that comes up right yeah <laughs> I remember there was one I it, I, I it was it was it was I think it was Sean Patrick Maloney, Representative Sean Patrick Maloney, mm-hmm. when he was um, talking to um, Sondland yeah. during one of the impeachment hearings. And it was like, it was something where he just like leaned into him. And he's like, you think you're a hero. You are not a hero. You were there. You, the only reason you're here right now is because we asked you to come in. Mm-hmm. I mean, he laid into him and it was like one of those arm burner moments. And I was like, I've got to find this. Yeah. And it had, it, and it's like, it just, I kept... It was like I was searching, searching, and searching every way I could, and that's—I never realized that Sean Patrick Maloney was gay until that. Until I was searching for that clip, and I kept doing all these different searches on him, and mm-hmm. I kept getting results about him and his husband and their three kids. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, well, not only is he not only is he a great congressman, he's also a homo." <laughs> <laughs> Just incredible. So it's like he's a team player. Is there like a Stephanie Miller show Rolodex for all of these potential guests? Or are you basically doing what the rest of us are doing, which is, you know, Twitter DMs? Like if I if some like a blue check starts following me on Twitter, I start the countdown yeah. clock before I have to send them a DM to say, hey, you want to be on my podcast? But there's got to be like thousands of us all doing that at the same time. Hey, do you want to be on my podcast? Uh, so is that kind of the process or do you have a, a more legitimate system that maybe they use like professional bookers at like the late night shows or something use, or is it? A no, mix? we don't have, we don't, we, yeah. we don't have bookers. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of, it's a lot of legwork. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of legwork and it's a lot of, um, you know, educating them about the show. And then um, just because you get someone to say yes, getting mm-hmm. them booked is a whole different uh, ball game. <laughs> um, I mean, there, there's some people that I like, I chased after, for months and months and months and months and months. Yeah. And, um, and I'm still like, I'm going back and forth trying to get Michael Cohen for the show. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, you say, yeah. And then when I actually ask him to do it, then it's like crickets. <laughs> so it's right. like, mm-hmm. don't tell me yes. And then not answer when I actually propose a time. But um, no, it's, um, it's kind of like that. It's, it's the networking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, Stephanie sometimes will go to, go to Politicon or these events when those things occurred and she'll meet a bunch of people. Okay. And then she'll come back and like, send me the, like, here's a contact. And yeah. it's like a, a name and a phone number or a name and email address and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, um, uh, and then I, I also use, um, not so much now, but when we were booking more of the celebrity guests for happy hour and it, and that was a lot of work too, was, um, IMDB pro. If you have an account oh, okay. with IMDB pro, yeah. it has, um, agents and managers and, and contact information. Oh, like that. You know what? I completely forgot about that. That's a great idea. I'm going to steal that from you. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're looking for celebrities to do, to do stuff and I don't have an account, but my husband who works in the entertainment industry does. So yeah, yeah. that's the reason that's the way I I've, I've, I've always approached it, but it's, um, yeah, it, you know, it's like, it's, it, it's, I, I call it the buckshot method. It's like, whatever, whatever, just fire as many shots as you can in many different directions. And hopefully like somebody will, will respond to you. You know how I feel about Stephanie. I think she is the gold standard. I, I so incredibly admire Stephanie Miller and what she's been able to achieve, uh, her style on the show, her tenacity, her consistency. Um, I imagine that there is a lot of prep work that you have to do in terms of adapting first-time guests to Stephanie's style with yeah. interviewing. Because yeah. she's very she's very in your face. She's very forward about what she says to guests. And that's part of the charm of the show, of course. But yeah. I imagine, was there any occasion where you booked a guest, the guest was on the show, and then afterward you hear back going, what the fuck was that? Why was she asking me about my penis or whatever, the, you know, whatever, wherever she Stephanie ends she, up going? She doesn't, she doesn't cross that line as much now that she's not drinking. So... <laughs> That was more of a happy hour thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, in fact, yeah. we were joking around t- about the time that she made out with Beverly D'Angelo after one of the happy hour podcasts <laughs> this morning. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Those no, were the days. Um, it's, it's funny. <laughs> Most people, once I get them booked and get them on the show, they are... Um, you would not believe the number of times I've actually had people reach out to me afterwards and go, that was so much fun. Yeah. I, I had imagine. such a good, yeah. um, the, 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 um, like Matthew Miller, mm-hmm. uh, who's on MSNBC, the former DOJ spokesperson oh, yeah. who seems so like clean cut and dry and proper. And oh, you know, yeah. he's, he's always put together. That's for sure. Yeah. It, and I, you, the first time he did the show, he was like, I don't usually get to let my hair down like that. <laughs> he's right. like, that was so much fun. Yeah. And yeah. you know, we had, um, didn't communicate this directly to me, but we had, uh, Eric Holder on um two weeks ago mm-hmm. and he um the people that we booked him through they emailed back and they said he said he had a great time that he was a, such a good time yeah that was a great and he and seemed to interview. yeah and he loved it he seemed to really get into the whole call me your highness and all of the mm-hmm. honorifics and yeah that was a that was a lot of fun and it's you know and some people show up and they're like they, they show up to play ball mm-hmm. you know and that that makes it so much fun because yeah. we've had like um you know, we have a lot of different people from Congress and stuff like that come on, but like, you know, we have our favorites, um, you know, like John Yarmouth is mm-hmm. always chuckling and talking about his bourbon. Um, <laughs> I remember the first time we had Adam Schiff on, it was when they redistricted the area here because Henry Waxman was the um, the congressman All right. for this area. Yeah. And they redistricted and um, Adam Schiff's people contacted us and um, wanted him to come in. 
And that this is where the whole smooth jazz congressman thing started. <laughs> and it, it, just watching his evolution over the years from, I don't want to say timid, but reserved. Yeah. And you've, you've seen him loosen up over the years and you see it when he's doing like his network interviews now mm -hmm. and stuff. And I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we're the reason he he's, he's like that, but you can tell that he's loosened up over the years yeah. as far as doing these interviews. And he went from being our smooth jazz congressman to like, he's doing a stand up night um, here in LA. Mm -hmm. Like it's a fundraiser event at like flappers comedy club or something like that, you know, coming up. Just incredible. Soon. Yeah. And it's, but, but like, just to watch that evolution of someone like that. And it's like, and, and I think she does kind of like put people at ease and, and bring them out of their shells. Like Richard Marks. Mm -hmm. Oh, I had yeah, no idea what yeah. it, I realized, um, going back two years now that he was following me on Twitter mm -hmm. and I'm like, what the fuck? Richard Marks is following <laughs> me. I know the feeling. Yeah. And so like, and, and he's so good on Twitter and he's so funny and he, he you know, he's not afraid to go after people. And, it's, and that's and like, I, that's how I look for guests is like, you know, if you're, if, if you're smart and you aren't afraid to talk politics in your Twitter feed, I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure you're a good guest for our show. Interesting. Yeah. And, and that's, that's how we got, um, I realized that he was following the show and I DM'd him, like yeah. you said. And, um, and, you know, a couple of weeks later, he's in studio with us. Okay, one last break here. Who doesn't love hanging out in loungewear? Loungewear used to be code for hideously ugly sweatpants. Even your pets have been judging you when you wear those things. Well, that's a thing of the past with Cozy Earth. The people known for creating luxuriously soft, cool sheets made of bamboo have done it again. They've taken loungewear to another level with their comfy, super soft selections in gorgeous styles and colors. From wonderful pajama sets, leggings, and tees, every item is sourced from Earth friendly viscose from bamboo for enhanced breathability and temperature regulation you'll find something you can't lounge without at cozy earth see why oprah described cozy earth's pajamas as the softest ever in o magazine and best of all go to cozyearth.com now enter the promo code stephanie 35 that's stephanie 35 and save 35% on their loungewear and bedding that's cozyearth.com promo code stephanie 35 cozy earth Dot com. Thank you. The Bob Seska Show. Well, I have to say, uh, I am so immensely grateful that you sent me that email back in 2013 and said, hey, do you want to be on the Stephanie Miller Show? Because Stephanie is the one who found you. So yeah, that yeah. was, and I don't remember how I tracked you down. I just think it was through, through Twitter or the Daily Banter or something like that, because I know at that period of time, I was writing a lot about the uh, Snowden, NSA, Glenn Greenwald thing. And so yeah. I was spending a lot of time on that. And then uh, you contacted me and I was on the show and that well, was, was one also of the, early in the morning for you. <laughs> it was very. Yeah, because I was living in Hawaii at the time. So I had yeah. to get up super early. I think I was getting up like at like at a Chris level of earliness. Like I think I yeah. was getting up at like three o'clock in the morning because we're three Hawaii, three hours behind L.A. And so yeah. I was not only exhausted, but then I would have to suck down caffeine. And then on top of that. I was, you know, the adrenaline was pumping because I wanted to make a good impression because I had been listening to the Stephanie Miller show for years, going back to, you know, Sirius XM uh, in 2006, yeah. 2007, in that period of time. And so I was familiar with the show and I admired the show. And in fact, there was one period of time in which Buzz Burbank, who's my Tuesday co-host, right. he, he yeah. was going for his own show on WJFK, which is where... I had interned in radio with the Don and Mike show and so on. And Buzz was, was still there. 
And so he and I were in conversations about his potential show on WJFK. And I was saying to him, yeah, you got to listen to this Stephanie Miller show because that's the way you do political comedy on the radio. That's again, I keep using this phrase, but it was the gold standard. And so once yeah. I get the opportunity to actually be on the show, I have to confess, I was nervous as fuck for like the oh, first, I I totally like the first two, three months. It was just like, ah. and then yeah. when I, and when I was in studio for the first time, I was, I don't know if it showed, it probably did because I was nervous as hell. That first time I was actually in studio, which must've been. 2015 or something like that. It was a couple of years later. A couple of that years was after. That was when we were at her house too. Yeah, I was never yeah. in the studio, uh, the yeah, actual the radio studios. studio. Yeah, yeah. But the the point I'm getting at here is that email that you sent me to invite me to be on the show changed the trajectory of my entire life in all the best ways possible. Because not only do I get to be on one of my all-time favorite radio shows and a show that I appreciate from a nuts and bolts broadcasting point of view as much as it is from the political comedy point of view, but also um, to uh, gain access to that listenership because Stephanie Miller Show listeners are among the most fanatical and loyal radio listeners I have ever known. And I I came up in radio with the Don and Mike show in Washington, D.C. And you talk about some loyal listeners. They had some really loyal listeners, Washingtonians, people in the D.C. Metroplex loving that show. But it pales in comparison to the listeners of the Stephanie Miller show in terms of not only their participation, but their support for the show and their support for the people who are in that, what I call the Stephanie Miller extended cinematic universe. The family. Yeah, exactly. The family. Yeah. It's like a series of orbits that Stephanie has created where she's like the, the star at the center and there's different orbits of different planets and then moons circulating the planets and so on. And, and I look at it that way and her listeners are so wired to the views and likes and dislikes of you three on the show that when you guys say, like, for example, Chris Lavoie saying, hey, I was listening to this Bob and Chez show, this podcast, yeah. then everyone certainly goes, vroom! And, and yep. there are now thousands and thousands of Stephanie Miller show listeners listening to whatever it is I'm doing. And yeah. so in that respect, oh, I, yeah, this was I, a, a totally tremendous opportunity. And I hope some of the other guests who appear on the show truly appreciate the value to their own projects that being yeah. on the Stephanie Miller show provides. It's well, incredible. It like, um, yeah. Last week we had um, um, Mia Bloom on the show who I just connected with Kimberly for mm-hmm. her podcast. Oh yeah. Um, uh, who has this book out called pastels and pedophiles. And it's about women getting involved in QAnon. Hmm. And she emailed us that night. She's like, she's like, we're back in the top 10 book sales. <laughs> There you go. Exactly. And I was like, oh no, that's what that's that's mm-hmm. the Stephanie Miller effect. It's no, she she has the most loyal audience you could ever ask for. And yeah. they support what Stephanie supports and they support the people who support Stephanie, like you. You mm-hmm. know, it's it and I, I I believe me, I to this day, and it's every, every once in a while it, it like because of the pandemic, not so much. But like Dylan went and saw like a play here at the Pantages a couple of years ago and we went and got ice cream afterwards and we're staying there and somebody goes, is that Travis Bone? 
there's only one reason. There's only one reason people recognize me anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's from the Stephanie Miller show. Yeah. And it's just, it's like one of those things where like, and Dylan always like laughs, you know, that's, that's my husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when, when I was first on the show, when you first invited me on the show, I was doing my podcast as sort of a side gig. Because I was mainly mm-hmm. writing at the time. I was writing yeah. for the Daily Banter and a couple other places. And the podcast was merely a, a thing that I loved doing, but it wasn't the main thing that I was doing. Now, yeah. doing my podcast is my full-time job. I do it four days a week, plus extra yeah. shows here and there, Indie Music Countdown and so on. And it's all because of the platform that you and Chris and Stephanie especially provided for me. And that has allowed me to do this thing that... I've always, I'm getting really soupy about this, but it's the thing that I've always, always wanted to do. When I was in eighth grade, I was recording fake radio shows in my bedroom. When I was in eighth grade. Now I'm recording fake radio shows in my bedroom for a living as my actual job. And podcasting is real, but it's also kind of a fake version of broadcasting. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I remember like editing together, like, you know, like the, the dual cassette tapes where you'd have, yeah. have music yeah. and you talk and you do like trying to do everything together or like have music playing in the background, but never quite sounded as good coming mm-hmm. through the microphone. You know, all those like like the, the things you did as a kid oh, yeah. or playing with the camcorder and stuff like that. But um, yeah, no, it's crazy now to have the, the equipment. And it's also gotten to the point where it's like so exciting. Like, these freaking um, the, the virtual tour, the sexy liberal virtual tour, we're yeah. shooting those on iPhones. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. it's just crazy like how how much you can do and how much, you know, mm-hmm. you know and I'm I'm always learning something new. Yeah. As far as like video or audio editing or, you know, sound mixing and stuff like that. And it's like and you you get to play with different aspects of I've always been a creative person like mm-hmm. whether it was kids I was drawing or playing with my Legos or you know, and I think that's you know, we were talking at the the beginning like transformers are like an entryway for me into like a lot of stuff. And to me, Transformers were so creative because like there was this tactile thing yeah. of changing from one to another and it was interactive. And I I, that, I think that's probably the reason those toys stuck with me. And some days when I'm stressed out, I'll literally go, I have a shelf in my bedroom of kind of like you've got there, your display yeah. cases. Yours are, yours are much nicer <laughs> and much more organized. <laughs> but um, I will literally go get a Transformer off the shelf and just if I need to do something tactile or take my mind off something, I'll just sit there and transform it back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a stress ball for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's not, it, 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 and it's like, some days I'm in the mood for something that's really easy to transform it. Some days I'm in the mood for something that's complex to transform. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's my goofy thing that I do, mm-hmm. you know, or I, like I said, I watch cartoons, you know, in the afternoon to like de-stress Yeah, yeah, and stuff, but it's, it's, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, I, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but it, uh, what I love about working on the show is it's, I get to be creative and playful yeah. And think outside the box on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. It's it's the best job in the world. And yeah. not only because y- you get to be silly for three hours or in the case of doing a broadcast show, uh, but also I think one of the, the coolest things about broadcasting or podcasting is you're still on a lower rung of the entertainment industry. You're still on like, oh yeah. I feel oh, like a, f- a few more rungs down is just porn. <laughs> That's where you go. Broadcasting, podcasting, maybe a couple of things in there and then porn. Um, magazine writing, print magazine writing is probably down. There right <laughs> yeah. Somewhere down there. But in yeah. that, in that respect, it's also, there's a comfort in that there's a low, yeah. lower. I mean, there's obviously pressure and stress and awfulness that you have to deal with. It's just part yeah. of, part of doing a job, but 
there's much less than you would experience maybe doing a TV series or something else in the entertainment industry that's much more high pressure where there's more people involved. There's more uh, creative input coming from people wearing suits and ties. You know what I mean? Oh, but what we're doing the the show with Kevin Smith. Yeah. I mean, getting network notes and approving ideas for stories and you know, the, the, the way we put that show together, it was Mm -hmm. like, the the team that it took for us to put together one half hour show, like what what the work that went into one half hour episode of that show mm. compared to the work I do for a three hour episode of the Stephanie Miller show. Yeah. It's like we planned for weeks and weeks and weeks just for one episode. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, on those things and, and scheduling shoots and, you know, going out and crews and all this. I mean, it was, it was absolutely bananas. Yeah. What well, it was like the, 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 planning and production work oh yeah and what we do there's planning and production but a little mm-hmm. bit and then most of it is improvised <laughs> yeah. that's just the crazy thing there is no script it's all spontaneous whatever comes out that's the thing and yeah. there, there's something that's exciting about that too live so little of entertainment oh, yeah. is live anymore and to be able to do live oh. radio is a real uh, there's something that's absolutely addictive about it. it's addictive to talk into a microphone for a living it's even more addictive to do it in front of a live audience oh yeah no yeah. we um for for those segments on geeking out like you know it, it was a half hour show you figure in commercial breaks it's about 20 minutes um you know you'd have like a a five minute segment or a five minute interview or something like that with somebody. And you would literally, you would probably film for an hour and then it would all get cut down to just like a five minute chunk. Yeah. And you're always waiting to see like which parts made it in. Did this one, did, mm. did, did the, did the question I pitched get in there? You know, it, yeah. it was, it was, it was so, there was so much that was, and we, we even said that um, there was so much that was left on the table for that show. It was, it was, it was frustrating. We did a, a stunt at Comic-Con and I cannot believe the footage of this never got used anywhere on the show. There was um, what we decided to do was like people at Comic-Con. Have you ever been to Comic-Con? I've never been. No, no. Okay. It got to the point where people would camp out overnight to wait for these shows. And um, the um, Hall H is like the one where like the big things were. And there were people who were camped out the day we got the, the Comic-Con starts like it. There's like a preview night early on Wednesday. We got there um, Wednesday morning and there were already people camped out because they wanted to see the Game of Thrones cast <laughs> and they were wearing Game of Thrones costumes. Mm-hmm. And that's not until Saturday. <laughs> and they were camped out on Wednesday. Jesus. Yeah. Ready to go. And the stunt that we put together was we found a gourmet donut shop in um, in San Diego and we were going to Kevin Smith and Greg Grumberg delivered donuts to people waiting who had been waiting in line for four days for the game of thrones panel and we got there in the morning before they let anyone is the and and had i mean we handed out like 10 dozen donuts mm-hmm. in a matter of like five minutes it was like a free-for-all because like you got kevin smith and greg grumberg walking to this crowd of people who've been camped out for four days and they've got coffee and donuts they lost their minds yeah I never saw the footage. In fact, I would say Kevin Smith's fandom is almost as uh, loyal and energized as Stephanie's fandom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. very much yeah. so. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was such a, it was, it, people went nuts and it was so much fun. Everyone was like, that was the best thing. That was the best thing we filmed the comment. And it never <laughs> made it into the episode because what we had so much other like, you know, interviews with celebrities and like we had Heath Ledger and we had Matt Damon in the show and yeah. not in Heath, I'm not, not Heath Ledger. I'm sorry, Matt Damon and um, 
Matt Damon and um, Charlie Hunnam from um, uh, Sons of Anarchy. Oh, okay. Right. He was in it because he had just done a King Arthur movie. Mm -hmm. So we had like big name interviews and stuff like that, that we had to like get in there. Yeah. And it just, this, 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 this stunt that we pulled off got left on the floor. And and I don't know if I'm sure the footage is somewhere, but that footage never got, it wasn't, (laughs) they didn't even release it as a bonus thing on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I was like, how could you, how could you leave something like that on the floor? You've got (laughs) Comic-Con fans going nuts because Kevin and, and Greg, and we had like donuts that had like the logo for the show on them. Oh my God. Wow. Like it was crazy. <laughs> it was absolutely crazy. Mm. And people, it was like, it, uh, it was like one of those things I look back now. I'm just like, I don't know what happened to that footage, <laughs> but, but we also, it, that, that took like so much planning and coordination mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Up in smoke. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That's what happens. It's like that. That's what killed me just coming full circle real quick about the theatrical version of justice league. And after yeah. seeing Zack Snyder's justice league and seeing all of that amazing footage that was just, that would have been just left yeah. on the cutting room floor. Like, Oh my God, all of that amazing work. It's just, it's ultimately disposable. If it's not needed, just it's gone. Uh, just crazy. I think I, t- I yeah. think I don't know. I don't know if I told you this before. A friend of I'm I'm gonna be very secretive about sure. the, the the connection here. Yeah. A friend of a friend of a a friend of a friend's husband mm-hmm. worked on Justice League. Yeah, both versions. <laughs> and when and 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 this person worked in um, Zack Snyder's camp. And when it was um, when things started going south with the whole Justice League project, yeah, his job. This is how the Snyder Cut's not been that that they literally said apparently like the the Warner Brothers execs came and said, you've got this happiness movie, but we can't sell toys based on this. <laughs> and so that's when things started to go south. And his job was to preserve as much of the Snyder footage that had been edited and strung out yeah. into the, the the full like four hour extravaganza. So he was like and this rear so guard they, move that was like, let's save the army as, as it's retreating kind of thing. They, yeah. They tried to make yeah. sure as much of that was preserved so that when they could, when it, if, if, and when a Snyder cut became an option, they could go in and, and put in all the, the final visual effects oh, just and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, it, it sounded like it was just absolutely, but it was like, like you're talking about all the work that goes into it that, you know, we wouldn't have seen that. Right, they right. hadn't preserved that footage, but I know that you're because I know how much you love Justice League. I want to make sure you heard that story. Because <laughs> oh, I knew you'd get a, yeah. get a kick out of that over the Joss Whedon version. That we're still going to hear stories about that for many, many years about what happened mm-hmm. with that. Just such a strange phenomenon between those two films and what what went on at uh, DC and Warner Brothers. Holy shit! Well, yeah. my friend, I can't thank you enough for we've we've gone thank super long, been... but. I'm I'm really looking forward to your next your project that you're talking about with regard to comic books. I know. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm being like and, a teasy little a yeah. teasy little minx on that one, but <laughs> well, we're, I'm 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 working on it. I've got um I've got the first two interviews set up for it. Yeah, and that's that's all I can say. Well, if you ever need a panelist, I'm available. Oh, so. no, believe me, you are <laughs> you are on the list. It's like no, I I, I believe me. That's the sexy liberal army. I, and all of yeah. our regulars and stuff like that. It's that's all fair game for this this project. Is there anything else? So, anything else you want to plug here at the end? Um, n- no. I mean, if people want to follow me on uh, on on Twitter, it's at the real T Bone. I yeah. don't post a whole lot on Instagram, but um, I, um, but you post some great shit on Instagram too, right? Is so that I, I, is do, that like a public thing that you do? Is that something oh, yeah. that okay? Yeah, that's I not two, that's not I a private Instagram. account. Yeah. No, I have two Instagrams. One is uh, Trav Prime, and that was my yeah. original one where I just 
my little Lego. That's suits. the fun one that I was just talking about. That's, yeah, yeah, it's one of that's my favorites. The fun yeah. One. yeah, and then um and and I haven't been posting on there a lot lately. That during the pandemic, I just didn't. I don't know. It just it wasn't happening. Well, you're not but going out other... to many places to pose those true transformers and things, right? They're they're yeah. transformers, aren't they? That you're they're, they're they're transformer Legos. Legos, right? Okay, gotcha. But or they're not even Legos. They're like an off brand, like junk, janky, <laughs> like GoBots like, were. Yeah, th- yeah. They're like they're like the GoBots of Legos. <laughs> right. They're like the go. Yeah, the yeah, Transformers yeah. GoBots of Legos. Um, <laughs> and then um, and then my other one is because uh, the real T Bone was not available. It is um, the one and only T Bone. Okay. Um, perfect. Is my other one, and that's where you'll see more of me and um, cocktails or food like that or when we're doing commercials for wild alaskan salmon you'll see my my salmon recipes there <laughs> okay. well i've got links in the description for all of that stuff so thank you so much i appreciate it but thank you again my friend we're definitely gonna have oh to gosh. do this again and lots of comic book movie stuff to i know still like, what's, cover. What's, what's, when's the next one coming out that we have to <laughs> yeah, talk <I> about <laughs> yeah we're gonna have to do it again in a couple of months i i, I hope people like it i think it's uh, a lot of fun to talk about that shit and every time we do i get more requests for it so yeah why not there is a it, it, there is a huge crossover fan base between um, pop culture and politics. Yep. I just it's it, it, like it, I, that that's like my niche in the Stephanie Miller verse mm-hmm. and your niche there too. You so, okay, well, thank, thank you, you again. And I guess it's your time. It's your bedtime. I guess it's time for you to. <laughs> no, I have <laughs> a half hour to print all of Stephanie's show prep. Oh, that there was you my... <laughs> go. All right. Well, take care, my friend. We'll talk to you, uh, you next much, week. Bob. Take it easy. Yes, bye bye. We'll see you on Wednesday. You bet. Bye bye. <laughs>